to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 270, recorded July 9th, 2017. So today we have a little bit of everything. We got a Deep Space Nine story, an original series story, and a Elseworld slash What If type story in Star Trek Deviations. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Deviations is, you know... I'm I'm giving them props for creativity. They really uh, created a different world uh, in the deviations. Um, something about it though was just not quite as pizzazzy as I was hoping for. Right. Yeah, a lot of those like what if Elseworld type stuff that Marvel and DC have always done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes they really work. Like you know, what if what if what if little baby Kal El was found by the the Waynes instead of the Kents, you know. Oh, right, and, right. I mean, that storyline was really good. But then sometimes they're like, mm, I should like this, but I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, this one, I think, kind of fell in the middle where it was it was good, but it had a lot of uh, a lot of problems. Right. Uh, and then, sure we'll talk about. Right. And then Waypoint. Um, interesting. Uh, get a little taste of uh, the early days of Deep Space Nine in the in the second story, or the first. Uh, the, yeah, first. This, yeah, okay. And then, um, and then the Taz one, which really was a little weird. Yeah, really didn't have much Taz in it. No, aside from the time frame. Right. Exactly. Although an interesting examination of the Prime Directive. Right. Yeah, I like these stories. I just wish they were longer. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they, they seem like they have to rush through it because they only have, what, you know, 10 pages to tell a whole story. Right. And, and it seems rushed. But, uh, right. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Way, Waypoint is not blowing me away like I thought it would when they first announced it that it was going to be an anthology and blah, blah, blah. I just like, man, it's just all the stories so far just seem like they're just need to be a little longer. To flush out the story better, right? Well, it's they're short stories, right. so some stories work out well as a short story. You know, they get their point across in, in a few number of pages, and some need the longer full issue or multiple issues. It's just what the story needs, and um, I think I think the one the Taz one, I think it was the right number of pages. Yeah, that was a good. One. But maybe you could do more with the uh, with the Deep Space Nine one. I don't know. Agreed. Okay. Well, shall we figure it out? Let's do it. Let's move on. So I'm doing Waypoint, issue number five. It was published on May 2017. The issue creative team is editor Sarah Gatos, assistant editor Chris Sarasi, production design by Neil Yataki, publisher Ted Adams. Okay, so there's two stories. Um, Well, before I get into that, let's go over the covers. Okay, so there's three covers. Cover A features 
um, a great shot of Kirk and Spock on a planetary surface, and they're in those kind of schlocky, but still, I I don't know, I kind of like them, kind of cool, spacesuits that they use in the Tholian web when Kirk was, you know, between dimensions or whatever. So they're both in those, and they're on a barren surface, and incredibly enough, the Enterprise is like almost directly above them, you know, closer than it has any business being. The retailer incentive cover is a photo cover, but, you know, I wasn't able to find the exact uh, image of it, so I'm not sure what the photo cover had on it. So, sorry. The subscription cover features uh, Odo and Bashir in the center of the cover, surrounded by all kinds of aliens, uh, some fanciful aliens and some downright scary. The cover, this cover is by Tony Shestine. Okay, so story one is titled Frontier Medicine, and it's a Deep Space Nine story. The writer is Kavan Scott. Artist is Josh Hood. Colorist, Jason Lewis. Letters by And World Designs. It's Bashir's early days on Deep Space Nine. In his medical log, he gives an introduction to the place and talks about his wonder with all the hustle and bustle at the station at the edge of Federation space. Later, Julian is having a drink with Miles at Quark's. Miles brings the ever-vigilant Odo into the conversation, who is standing near them and scanning the patrons on the lookout for trouble. Suddenly, Odo spots a large alien that looks like an upright standing wolverine, who is roughly handling an old alien woman through the crowd. It looks like an abduction. Odo moves to intercept, as does Julian, who thinks the old woman might need medical aid. Miles brings up the rear to provide backup. When they catch up with the pair, the old woman is sitting on the ground with some kind of yellow, semi-transparent material all over her. What has that brute done to her? Bashir reaches them first and is easily knocked back away by the brute. Odo gets Hugh Jackman in a headlock, which gives O'Brien and Bashir the opening to carry the cocooned woman to the infirmary. The brute breaks free when he knocks Odo back into a bulkhead. Meanwhile at Ops, Commander Sisko and Kira are alerted to the emergency as four winged white incorporeal beings approach the station through space. Blue lightning erupts from the main control panel and enters Major Kira. It seems to take over her body as white light comes out of her eyes and mouth. She utters guidance. Meanwhile, in the infirmary, Bashir tries to free the woman from the cocoon, thinking she is suffocating. The brute enters the infirmary. O'Brien fights, fights it off and locks it out of the infirmary. Blue lightning erupts from a control panel and enters O'Brien. White light comes from his eyes and open mouth. He utters, guidance. He opens the door, and the brute runs in towards the old woman. The brute pushes back Julian as the cocoon begins to glow red, sort of like a red-hot lava flow. 
A hole forms, and out of the cocoon comes another incorporeal creature of yellow light, just like the four white beings that approached the station earlier, but with a slightly different color. Yu is smiling with delight at the sight of the newly birthed creatures of light. The yellow creature flies past and exits the station, along with the two white creatures that leave Kira and Miles. All of them enter the wormhole, following the lead of the newly birthed yellow light creature. Julian conjectures all they needed was a guide to lead them home. Later in the infirmary, where Dr. Bashir is unnecessarily examining Odo to ensure there are no lasting effects from the run-in with the brute, Odo tells Dr. And o- the doctor and O'Brien that being the best at your job is not enough out here on the frontier. The unknown will test the usefulness of all the training in the world. When O'Brien and Odo leave, Julian admits he was not prepared for the encounter. His actions were understandable, but not correct. He sits down and starts going over medical training program Bashir Alpha 1. He will do better next time. The end. I kind of wish they would have brought up that uh, Brashear was augmented in this early, early story. Or hint to it somehow. Right. Right. Yeah. They, they, uh, they definitely said nothing about that in the early days. So is that something that they always uh, had in Bashir's character from day one? Or was that something they came up with over time? I don't know for sure, but my guess is that they came up with it later. Yeah, it seems like that, doesn't it? Right, because his character changed so much. Yeah. Because here, like in the first season, he's very unsure of himself. Yep. And, you know, this all shucks type view of the universe, which right. uh, if he was really augmented, then I think he, he wouldn't quite be like that. Exactly, have a little bit more confidence. He wouldn't be that naive either, where he right. was in the first season. Right, right. He was still young, though, even though he had great abilities. uh, But there was absolutely no indication of that in the early days that I noticed. Right, right. Same. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think? Um, Another another, uh, floating amoeba-looking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, diaphanous light creatures. They do pop up from occasion, uh, on occasion in Star Trek. Uh, right. universe doesn't don't they um i think it's okay it's an okay series and, and i or so, story and i like how it was at the early days of the series because a lot of times when we read stories they tend to be like in the middle or maybe post tv show right. um but this one is at the beginning which is interesting cisco cisco in particular you know looks so young with uh you know with no face hair and you know plenty of head hair before he Started shaving it all off. Yeah, um, you know, and only those three pips. Oh, right, Commander. Mm-hmm. Right. Commander Cisco. There you go. I always so. thought it was funny. He He's commanding a giant space station, and, and he's just a commander, not a captain. Right. Yeah. In a way, he has more responsibility than a, a captain of a single little freighter or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, well, um, I guess, but our captains often 
Well, no, they got uh, captains in the army and stuff. I was about right. to say, do captains normally, you know, command ships? But uh, not always. I suppose. Right. right. So I didn't really like the whole uh, the aliens taking over people. And then they don't really do anything. No. Um, yeah, the only thing they give you is, you know, give you some hints about the conjecture at the end by them saying guidance, you know. Other than that, it's useless. Right. Well, I mean, well, O'Brien did open the door. That's true, yeah. But that right. was it. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I, I do say the artwork where Kira has the light coming out and everything, that was kind of spooky. And then nothing happened. Right. <laughs> and of all the people that get the lightning, why is it the two people that, I mean, the two people that we've actually know? I mean, there's thousands of people on that show. Oh, yeah. Kira I got should not have been the one that got zapped. Yeah. At least O'Brien, he, they needed that door open so that the right. wolf bank could get in. Right. But Kira, eh, not so much. Yeah. Well, uh, and also she was, you know, she was an ops, so maybe they needed the per. Uh, well, but why, why her and not Cisco? But I mean, she is the one like an ops that might, you know, controls the station if they if they figured that out from the outside. Right. I don't know how they would have. Um, but controlling ops is would be helpful also. But mm. but she doesn't. She just says guidance, and that's it. Yeah. Yep. And you assume she stands there until the end. Now, um, and then Cisco doesn't do anything. I mean, all he does is call Bashir and say, "Hey, we need we need medical assistance," and that's it. Bye, right. bye, Cisco. Yeah, and then when the when the alien leaves her, they're still standing in the exact same spot. So <laughs> all, he didn't even <laughs> sit her in a chair or anything. Yeah, just left her there. He just stood next to her, waited for the next event to happen. Yep. You know, another thing. Uh, there's no explanation of this Wolverine guy. Or what? I, I I thought he was a Wolverine, uh, but I thought he was a bat. He looked like bat. He, it was a bat face, with uh, the bat nose and the bat ears. Bat nose? I I thought his nose. Kind of a bat nose. I I thought bats had like smushed in noses, where yeah. this guy had a protruding nose. A you know, like a like a dog or something. I don't know which panel you're seeing, but it looks like it was smushed in. His face is almost. Uh, I don't know flat. all of them. <laughs> Maybe like a koala bear nose. Uh, I don't think he looks like a koala bear. No, I don't think he looks like a dog either. Well, I had a hard time figuring out what he was. But but he he looks like he was some kind of mammal. Look, he's got fur and everything. He looks like a mammal. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I, I'm wondering what is what was his deal? Yeah, and. And why was he carrying this woman thing to the – I mean, so was she – she was some sort of humanoid. She was. That had, had to get back to the to the wormhole? I don't know. Well, okay, so she, uh, apparently it's – at least it's a, it's a creature that has two phases to its life, you know, like caterpillar versus butterfly. Um Although interesting how it goes from a humanoid physical into a winged, uh, you know, incorporeal being, but right. you know, obviously that's what it does. But um, but who's the who's this guy? You know? Yeah, it's his, it's 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 Rinfield. 
It's he, well, it, exactly right. Yeah, it seems like guy. some kind of assistant, some kind of guardian. Uh, I mean, it's almost like a, like a religious thing. I don't know if whether it's religious or not, but like at the end when it like comes up and everything, he's like smiling and like ah. Right. Anyway. Yeah, and then you know, then I guess where where does he go? They let him go. Yeah, exactly. And then you you, you assaulted Odo. You know, it's like and more. So anyway. yeah, I would have some more questions for him. Like, uh, was this? Was this person that got cocooned, was it originally a normal person and then one of these light creatures entered her and then after a certain amount of time finished gestating and popped out that way? I don't know. Yeah. There's so many things it could have been. I mean, is it a cocoon thing or is it like an alien thing where this thing was like living inside of her until it became gold and then popped out? Right. And my biggest question is, what the heck does... I... Indines, yeah. or Indines. What what does that mean? I was wondering the same thing myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the brute keeps on saying Indines or Indines or whatever, however you pronounce it. Right. So, guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Because I doubt they bring this back up. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, Plus, how did the creature get out of the wormhole? Because I know the wormhole's always been there, but it's never really opened all that much in the past. So it wasn't until the first episode of Deep Space Nine that they found out how they could trigger it to open and all that stuff at whim. So how did this creature come out of the wormhole, turn into a human, befriend the little Wolverine bat guy, and then come back, uh, presumably sometime much later, and expect to get back into the wormhole? Exactly. And good Too many point. questions. Exactly. Good point about um, them not appearing as if they're even from the same quadrant. Unless, of right. course, uh, you know, the, the root guy uh, came through at some point in the past from, uh, what, the Gamma quadrant, quadrant? Right. So, I don't know. Seems weird. Okay, so my last, my last comment on the story is... I think Odo's main point is you can do all the book learning you like, but there's too much unknown out here, uh, Bashir and O'Brien. Um, you need to be able to deal with the unknown. <clears throat> and you'll make mistakes. And if you, you're, you're, you're wrong if you think, oh, I'm, I'm highly trained Starfleet, uh, you know, whatever. I can take care of anything. Right. Yeah, what does Bashir do? He go at the end of the story. He goes right back and starts running that uh, training program, Alpha One. It's like you're just going back to more book learning. So how's that? You know, is that going to be any different to help you deal with new and unique situations than what you've been doing so far in your career? I doubt it. Anyway, I, right. But I now he's paying more attention because <laughs> he didn't before. Augmented. Yeah, because well, he wasn't augmented yet in this. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. No, uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, good point about uh, him not really taking Odo's advice. Yeah. Yeah, it's like – but, of course, that might have been the only thing he could do other than just, you know, keeping his eyes open and being open to uh, new things. 
as they as they unfold because how how can you prepare other than what he's doing i suppose for the unknown because you don't know what it is yet anyway right it just seems a little bit anti what odo is trying to get across to him but whatever yeah good point all right and my last comment is when uh that scene you were talking about earlier when uh narice gets the uh the creature inside of her Mm -hmm. for whatever reason she looks like uh pamela Voorhees. What Pam? Is that that's Mrs. Voorhees? Yeah, that's uh, Jason's, Jason's mom. Mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I didn't get that. Okay. Yes. Does, does well? Does she think, have light coming out of her eyes and mouth at some point? Well, when she gets her head chopped off, she just kind of looks like that. And then later, when it's all rotting and stuff, and and Jason's been keeping it. Oh, know, a little creepy like that. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Plus, it was. Uh, Nana Visitor played Pamela Voorhees in the, the last Friday the 13th. Oh, so. I didn't know that. So that's what I was getting at. But, uh, I mean, the face does look creepy. It did remind me of that scene when, uh-huh. when it showed her head. But yeah, maybe it was because it was the same actress. There you go. I did, I did not know that. There's a, there's a reason why you should watch Friday the 13th. <laughs> well, Give there's one reason. <laughs> that, that was the reboot, right? The yeah, remake? The re- yeah, so, yeah, most of these reboots are not that great. Nightmare on Elm Street. I like that one. Did you like that one? Me. Yeah, I liked it better than the Friday the 13th one. The Friday the 13th one, they kind of cherry-picked the first three movies. Yeah. It was like, we want to do that death scene again and that death scene again and that death scene again. <laughs> Whereas at least the Nightmare on Elm Street one was kind of a... It was kind of a reboot or retelling, and you mm-hmm. could actually, and they changed all the characters' names, so you could have been like, "Yeah, this is just another story. It doesn't have to be a remake of the first first movie." Ah. So, I thought they did that one well. Cool. It wasn't a cherry pick. Okay. All right, so we move on to "Come Away, Child." Please, let's. Okay, so number uh, story two is from uh, Taw's. Uh, it's a Taw's story, and. As Donovan mentioned, Come Away, Child is the title. Story creative team is writer-slash-artist Simon Roy. Letters by Ant World Design. Spock and Scotty are seeing Ensign Harada off to her new assignment in a solitary research outpost on Ortari II. The outpost is manned by two people, and constructed in a way as to stay undetected by the natives. They beam down, and there she meets Harry, who she is replacing. Harry takes her to Dr. Lewis. Harry happily beams to the Enterprise as Dr. Lewis and Laura meet. In their first conversation, Dr. Lewis belittles Laura's graduation thesis by pointing out that she is wrong in her assertion that the Dolgari and the Otarian people have similar matrilineal societies. Dr. Lewis says on the surface that appears to be the case, but if you look below the superficial upper layers, you will see the Otarian culture is vastly more complex. You idiot. As days go by, Dr. Lewis proves to be a poor conversationalist as she is completely focused on the Otarians. 
Laura walks in on the doctor as she is working on what appears to be a bust of an old Otarian who has many battle scars on his head and face. At night, Laura reads up on the Otarians and learns how they evolved from an aquatic, air-breathing mammal species, similar to a manatee. An earth manatee, of course. Their society is matriarchal, so it's the females that rule the villages, as men are mostly traveling traders who are seldom in the villages except at mating festivals. Party on. At night, Laura discovers that Dr. Lewis has left the outpost and actually interacted with the Otarians. What looked like some kind of sculpture was actually a mask a mask that was apparently effective enough to let the doctor speak to a small group of them and pass as an Otarian. When she returns from her experiment, Laura confronts the doctor about how she is breaking the Prime Directive. They are only supposed to observe, not interact with them. The doctor could inadvertently affect Otarian's development. Despite Laura's very valid points, the doctor talks her into monitoring the doctor's next interaction with the natives. She plans to attend that night's mating festival. The whole village will be there, and many visiting males. It is an excellent opportunity to slip in and be accepted by them. An aquatic probe with a periscope-mounted phaser can be used if things go sideways. The doctor, in full disguise, emerges from the water and onto the shore where the village festival is in full swing. She is talking to Laura via a communicator concealed in the mask, along with a universal translator. From the aquatic probe, Laura can see and record everything. Unfortunately, something the doctor says to a particularly large and suspicious Otarian raises an alarm. They think she is a spy and drags her to one of several bonfires, burning as part of the festivities. Laura is targeting the main brute that is instigating the witch hunt, but Dr. Lewis says, don't shoot. Don't shoot them. Laura almost does it anyway, but she understands why the doctor does not want her to shoot. She is sacrificing herself to maintain her cover and the prime directive. After Laura reported the doctor's death, Starfleet decided to mothball the outpost. Laura cries for the loss of Dr. Lewis, but understands that the doctor risked breaking the prime directive, and in the end, her own life, just to make some kind of connection. The end. Yikes. Yikes. So, a poignant ending with the doctor knowingly sacrificing herself and going through a very painful death burning at, at the stake, basically. Right. <clears throat> yep. But that's, that takes convention. Conviction. Oh, big-time conviction. Yeah, especially when you're in the, in the middle of being... and you start really feeling those flames. Uh, you got to start questioning, <laughs> is this worth it? Anyway... And so the uh, that scene reminded me of Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> you know, I thought the same thing. Uh, really? Okay, so uh, you know when he says, "No, this is this is a knife." No, 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 not that one. So uh, they throw her onto the fire and burn her, right? Okay, and she's yeah. wearing a lot of 
prosthetics and things right, like that. Right, 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 right. So in Crocodile Dundee, there's a scene where um, they're sitting, he and the girl are sitting in the campfire at, in Australia, and he grabs this big snake and then like kind of wrestles with it and then throws it into the fire, and mm-hmm. then she mentions that it smells like burning plastic. <laughs> because obviously it was a fake snake that he put in there to make, it, make him look cool. Uh-huh. So when she, this woman is burning and she's obviously not one of them and she's wearing this mask and apparatus, then it, it'll melt off before she burns up and they would know she wasn't quite uh, whatever the species was. I agree. Good Plus point. Plus her skull would be a different shape. They'd be like, hey, why is – she this flat nose thingy underneath. <laughs> exactly. Good point. So I think the uh, damage to the society would have been pretty bad. Not only is she a spy, but she's also a different species that looks like us. Right. So then now they're gonna, their whole society is gonna be about finding uh, shapeshifters and things like that. Are they gonna like draw an outline of a real face in the sand and stuff, and ruin everything? Maybe. Where is that from? <laughs> Star Trek Two Into Darkness. Okay. They don't draw the face. They draw the the, the ship. The ship. Yeah. yeah right. Well. Okay. Well, what did they see? They didn't see people. I mean, they saw the ship. Yeah. Anyway, so it was a, an attempt at humor slash reference. Well. Okay. So. Um, you know, I didn't like the artwork. I was going to ask if we were going to talk about that at all. Well, let's do that. Because I, uh, I wasn't crazy about it. It's definitely a different style than we're used to. Yeah. So the, the writer is also the artist. Okay. So maybe, um, you know, maybe for some, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it almost sounds like a children's book or something. Um, maybe because the person wrote it, you know, they let him do the artwork. I don't know. But I'm not crazy about it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a style that was kind of popular in like the 70s and stuff. And oh, really? Yeah, and, and it's like a lot of like European comics kind of look like this. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, so almost like, um, you know, like 2080 type comic books. A lot of, a lot of their books look like this. Mm. That was a publisher in the UK. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if this Simon Roy is from there or he just happens to have a similar similar style but yeah i'm not the biggest fan either no no doesn't look that good but it's fine it's fine whatever ah uh, yeah um so she's very dedicated um the doctor and and okay so the girl so is she a character we actually saw on 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 Taws? I don't remember. I don't think so. No. Just, Not that I'm aware of. Right, Laura. Hmm. Anyway, so the only thing, the characters in the story, except for Spock and Scotty early on, um, you know, none of this says Taws. I mean, the only thing that says Taws in here is the theme of the Prime Directive. Uh, right. And maybe the uh, the monitor she was Laura was using in her bed, reading up on things. That looks a little bit like that one Gary Mitchell was using in sickbay. Well, a lot of the or tech maybe looks, looks 
Taz tank. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what 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 little of it we see that doesn't look like very artistically inspired. Right. Yeah. So the uh, the creatures. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Reminded me of the uh, Kevin Smith movie Tusk. Ah! Have, you seen... <laughs> Have you seen that? Um. I okay. So I've seen the beginning of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. Hmm. It's a decidedly odd movie. The, the amount that I saw of it. Yeah, and this uh, this kind of reminded me of that a little bit. <laughs> okay, so there was some kind of masks or something that looks like a walrus. Is that the deal? In this, yeah. What, in the comic book? And no, no. The, well, the comic books looks like they're a little bit more like maybe maybe something like a manatee or something. Right, right, right. But no, in Tusk, in Tusk, it was more like a walrus, right? Yeah, but you know, spoiler: it's it's this guy turning a human into a, a walrus. Okay. It's not, it's not a mask. It's it's He's uh, actually That's actually what he looks like. His face to make him look like a, a Oh my god. Yeah. And that guy he's doing it to is like a blogger or something, right? Uh yeah, a uh, a podcaster actually. Oh, a podcaster. Oh, that was it. Okay, a podcaster. Ha, huh, podcasting. Hmm. Yeah, so if you ever get invited to some crazy rich guy's house, go with a buddy. <laughs> go with a buddy. Don't go but, alone. But didn't uh, Justin, whatever his name is, didn't he kind Justin of? Justin Long. Justin Long, there you go. I mean, did wasn't he like saying some things in his podcast that were kind of, uh, you know, like criticizing people? Or something. Yeah, he, he's kind of a shock jock type. Shock jock type podcaster. Yeah. They go, that's not us. No, we're no, lovable. No. We're nice guys. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But if you invite me to come look at your private collection, I'm gonna bring a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and that buddy will be armed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, the the creature uh, that that especially the mask she's making really reminded me of uh, Tusk. Tusk. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's about all I have to say about this one. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say either. <laughs> uh, it was an interesting... Uh, I, I, her sacrifice at the end was like, oh, wow. <laughs> that's kind of... That's some meat there, story-wise. But other than that, it was like, meh. Right. And she seemed really stupid that she started speaking and stuff, and she just comes out of the water. That doesn't seem. I guess everybody's coming out of the water, but yeah, I think they're come, they're all coming I out don't of the water. Know. This seemed really presumptuous that she could speak the language and nobody would figure it out. Yeah, it, well, it really drives home how powerful that uh, that uh, universal translator is because she's right. putting a lot of faith on that thing. Yeah, uh, and also not only that, wasn't it um, Star Trek? Uh, comics ongoing. Uh, didn't they have an episode that had something like that where they were dressed up in uh, native outfits or something? But in the end, they they didn't reproduce all of the scents, you know, the smells. Oh right. Of the aliens as much, and the aliens knew they weren't right. Yeah, was it the uh, yeah. the one where the 
it wasn't the one where it was the woman Kirk from the other universe that, and they had the holographic, uh, the holographic disguises. I don't remember. I don't. Know, it was something like but, that. Yeah, but, yeah. But the I main thing remember. is, it isn't all just looks, uh, and it may not, and it probably isn't all just voice either. But right, body um, language, facial expression. There you go. So uh, maybe how many fingers you hold up when you order a drink. Right. Or just, you know, say what time it is. <laughs> exactly. You right. don't want to throw up two, two fingers in a certain way. Oh, that's it. That's it. Like, oh, it's 2 o'clock. <gasps> Can't believe he just said that. Oh, was that the uh, – he was telling the time? Okay. I don't – what were you talking about? I'm talking about a real-life scenario I was in in the UK. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm talking about Inglorious Bastards. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. So Magneto – was playing a, you know, a German, but he was actually mm-hmm. a Brit who was partially raised in Germany. And, but he, the way he, I think it was how he ordered a drink or something. Uh, he raised a certain number of fingers and apparently what he did was a very much a, like more of an English thing than a German thing. And that's what tipped off the, uh, the very yeah. sharp Nazis that, He's a spy. All right. So. Which that Magneto? Would... Old Magneto or young Magneto? Young Magneto. Yeah, Michael Fassbender. Right. That, that was the first time I'd ever seen him in Inglorious Bastards, and he did a great job. Yeah, I thought he was good. And I thought, you know, he's pretty good. I'm surprised they killed him off like that. He was making a pretty good hero. Man, I just um, told you I hadn't seen it, and you just like, spoiler, spoiler. Oh, I didn't know you didn't see it. You said that? Okay, yeah. sorry. Sorry. Very <laughs> worthwhile seeing, though. Well, now I know he dies. I'm not going to watch it. <sighs> well, there's lots of other people to root for. All right. Okay. All right. Shall we move on? Let's please. All right. So we're changing gears a little bit. So uh, IDW has often done this big um, summer event like DC and Marvel to, to where they do crossovers and stuff. Well, this year, 2017, they did a thing called Deviations, where they didn't really cross over with the other franchises that they have licensed to, but they all shared um, a theme, and this year's theme was uh, what-if type stories. So, um, And they called it Deviations. So this is the Star Trek Deviations one-shot that came out in March of 2017. Um, so all the other ones were – I read a few of them. There's one like the what if the Ghostbusters didn't stop the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. So what would have happened if Ghostbusters Oh, my gosh. Won? Oh, my gosh. And uh, and I, I forgot – I looked at some of the other ones. That was the only other one I actually read. But the other ones were looked pretty interesting too. The the Judge Dredd one, I forgot now. But, you know, that's Judge Dredd, Turtles um, – X-Files, things like that. So, I mean, they have a whole slew of, of licensed books, and they all did a uh, deviation-type story this summer. So, anyway, so this one was written by Donnie Cates. Art was by Josh Hood. Colors by Jason Lewis. Letters by And World Design. Production design by Neil Yutaki. Edits by Sarah Gatos and Chris Cersei, Cerasi, and publisher Ted Adams. 
So there's three covers that I saw. Uh, the first cover, the main cover, uh, it's a desert landscape. And we see the round circle Star Trek logo in the foreground. And then we see Troy, Worf, Geordi, and Rikers behind them at various points in the sto- in the picture. Uh, Riker is sporting a mullet and an eye patch, and he's sitting on top of a horse. And then in the sky, we see some Romulan ships flying by. Then there's the R.I. cover, which shows a very ferocious-looking wharf. And then behind him, we see Riker, Troy, and Geordi, who is holding Data's head. And they seem to be storming a hallway of some sort. And then there's the subscription cover, which this one looks like a poster for the X-Files or something like that. We see Crusher and Picard wearing suits, holding out a badge that says they're part of the FBI. And then uh, behind a doorway, we see a Klingon ready to stab them as soon as they walk in. So the story starts on a world that looks more like Mad Max than anything we've seen in Star Trek. Uh, we see a dune buggy and horse running through the desert while being chased by Romulan scorpion fighters. The dune buggy, uh, inside the dune buggy, we see Geordi with cloth covering his eyes instead of a visor. And behind him is Worf. And on the hood of the vehicle, acting as Geordi's cybernetic eyes, is the android head of Data. Upon the horse is a man with an eye patch and his face covered. The writer is bringing the readers up to speed through a letter that he's written prior to this event. It outlines that humans have been under the Romulan control since the Romulans arrived on Earth on First Contact Day. These humans have all been born into slavery and worked in the de- on this desert world. Geordi found the head of Data and had rigged it up as a set of eyes since he was born blind. Worf was once a guard, as most Klingons are, but he renounced his allegiance to the Romulans and is now a pacifist. Soon, a larger Romulan craft flies overhead and provides some cover fire and then crashes into a wall of a Romulan stronghold. The writer suspects that this is Deanna, though she does not know how to fly, obviously since she just crashed. Uh, From the wreckage, Deanna exits the crash ship as the horse and buggy arrive at the base. The rider of the horse turns out to be Riker. He is the human resistance fighter. Upon his chest is a necklace, which is an old Federation logo of the Taz era. Through this letter, we still learn that the logo was found and proves that the story that the Romulans have been telling them all these years is perhaps untrue. They are storming this Romulan prison to find a man who may have the answers. The battle is long and Riker is shot in the side, but eventually they make their way to the cell holding a bearded Picard. On the walls, Picard has written the complete works of Shakespeare by memory. Riker shows the logo and Picard tells him that he knows exactly what it means. The group start to leave, but are suddenly staring down the barrel of a disruptor being held by a doctor named Crusher. Picard tries to get her to side with them, but she will not. Eventually, Riker asks if she knew Wesley. We learn that Wesley was once on Riker's team, but he has now died. Crusher does not take the news well, but lets them pass. 
Eventually, Picard takes them to a machine called a transporter that beams them up into a space hangar in space. There, Riker is in awe of what he sees, but he succumbs to his injuries. He hands the letter that we've all been reading this whole time to Deanna and dies, knowing that there is more to humanity than that they've been told. The remaining members of his resistance look out of the viewport to see the NCC-1701 Enterprise docked in space. The final line is a question. To be continued? The end. Da, da, da. Okay, so the Taws Enterprise, the original Taws Enterprise. Well, not, it doesn't have nipples. Right. But, um... Uh-huh. So, the one for the main Taz series. So, interesting choice. And I'm confused. All right. What are you confused about? <laughs> okay, so exactly... <clears throat> exactly what point in time does... <laughs> when do the Robulans take over? A- at first, I was thinking it was the first Romulan War. Right? So, um, oh, we must, you know, Archer's time. We must have lost that one. But then, but look, it's the Enterprise from a later time period. So they took over at some point after Kirk commanded the Enterprise, but before next-gen time frame? Uh, Right. Well, okay, so back to the Enterprise. It it is the the Pike Enterprise. Oh, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. It does have nipples. It does have nipples. Oh. So it, it had to have happened. So assuming that technology advanced the way it did in, in the Prime Universe, yeah. it had to have taken place uh, before Kirk took over the Enterprise. Okay. So sometime during Pike's tenure, or April's tenure, uh, somehow the Romulans took over the humans. Okay. But they don't actually say that explicitly. Nope. Okay. Good. I did, it wasn't that I just missed something. Okay. No, and, and in fact, the first page, which shows like a poster from Star Trek First Contact, mm-hmm. and kind of like says, here's the history you know, and they kind of give oh, yeah, you, yeah. you know, the synopsis of First Contact, right. and then and then the next set, paragraph is like, but this is not that story. Right. And so you're like, okay, oh, that's right. so what? Okay. You're, I mean, because this has nothing to do with First Contact. Okay, so... I thought I read somewhere in this book, or somewhere, it was uh, rather than the Vulcans making first contact, it's the Romulans that made first contact. Which would That's make... what the Romulans have been telling them. Oh, okay. But, okay. but then, by seeing this, it implies that maybe that's not the truth. Right. So maybe first contact did happen the way we saw in the movie First Contact, okay. but uh, at some point... They took over. The Romulans took over. Right. And did a retcon of history. Right. Okay. Yeah, so how could they so thoroughly take over the humans that within one generation they've already all forgotten the true history? So how, how I don't know how you would do that. Well, remember what they did in that one um, ongoing episode or set of comics where the bloodthirsty Klingons – the, the, the not-so-commander uh, said, kill all the parents and we'll raise you know the, a, gener- a new generation of kids. Right. 
So the kids, so the kids are ne- never have any contact with their parents, and certainly no written materials from their history. Okay. That's a way. So that's a scoop, way to do it. Scoop. Well, but then also the Klingons too, because the Klingons are guards. You think that the, the Romulans erase their minds too? Because Worf didn't know anything about. Well, they'd have to do the same kind of yeah. thing, right? Now, how the Romulans are able to take over everything, I mean, the Klingon Empire and the Federation, I have no idea. Right. Yeah. And I don't think you're supposed to think about it too hard. <laughs> well, okay, so is this going to be the kind of thing where it's a mystery? So they want the reader to be thinking all the things we're thinking, which, will, which is, I think it's one of the most effective ways to bring people back. When you have all these right. mysteries that are set up in a first issue, well, how? What? What? I got to find out. But there won't be another issue, so I, I mean, it's not—it's a one shot. They're not going to do another issue. Well, didn't they say something about question mark at the end? Yeah, again, they just want you to think there's more. I, Maybe they do want us to talk about it and build up the next story in our own heads. I think. It is. I think they would happily turn this into a multi-parter if there was enough uh, interest shown. Right. I mean, I would read it if it was. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. It wouldn't be the first thing I went and grabbed off the shelf. Right. Just because. Too many questions. Oh. Okay. Okay. I mean, I guess if they answered some of the questions like through flashbacks or whatever. Oh, yeah, so the Cochrane thing happened. And... Well, they've set up so many mysteries here. Uh, what if the uh, Romulans and the Vulcans never split off in this history, and they're basically the same thing? Mm, um, I, I guess. Um, so you're saying the combined Vulcan... Well, they, why are they call Romulans, then? So... They were called Vulcans originally, so mm. I mean, wasn't the Vulcans the okay? Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, all right. That that doesn't hold water. Okay. Well, but maybe they got renamed for some reason. Who knows? Right. Or maybe this Enterprise is from. Uh, maybe the story they've been told is true, and this Enterprise is from another dimension. Maybe instead of the Defiant getting sucked through the. The Tholian web thingy, that it was this one. It was the Tholian web, right, that had the ship. No, it wasn't. Well, no. Which one had the ship, the, 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 the defiant ship that went yeah. through? Yeah, that was Tholian web. Dimension? Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, so what if in some dimension it was the NCC-1701 instead of the defiant? And Yeah, well, sure. Now a, I mean, uh, definitely interdimensional hijinks. I mean, sure, that could be that could that could explain just about anything. I agree. I mean, but you don't like that answer? Uh, no, not really. It's it's, too it's, simple. it's like the TNG reset button they started using way too much. The TNG? You mean the the Taz was the worst? No. What are you talking about? Get, what? Give me an example. Every episode. What? What? What did any episode not have any bearing into a later episode? No. Um, TNG did the same thing. It was episodic. Yeah. Sure. Unless when they had a multi-parter. Right. But 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 
But at least Tasha stayed dead, mostly. Well, who came <laughs> back to life? In in Taz that died. Nobody. Um, nobody. Okay, then what's your point? My point is is that they were episodic TV shows. With a reset button at the end of the episode. Well, yeah. Well, they both were. So. Right. Anyway. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah I, I don't know. There's lots, of, there's lots of things that could have happened. But I think this has to be, to your point, since nobody has any recollection of the real history, uh, except maybe Picard, because he's old. Yeah. Because he's old. Um, and so he has some real memories. Of of the past, um, maybe there maybe something really weird and technological and techno babble happened, uh, where maybe some interdimensional, maybe some time travel kind of stuff, something like that might have happened. Um, but I hope they wouldn't have to reject it or resort to that. Right. Hopefully, it was something more where. Somehow, the Romulans were able to conquer both very large and very powerful <laughs> neighboring civilizations. And, uh, you know, and by draconian methods, uh, you know, raise a next generation that had no recollection of their origins. Or correct recollections. Right. Yeah, so, is this Earth that they're at, or do you know? Oh. Because it doesn't quite look like Earth. So, if it's not Earth, then not only did they take over Earth, but then they started moving humans around to other planets. I mean, and Troy's not even human. Yep. So. Well, but she's part of the Federation. Or, well, in a, a, neighboring, part of a neighboring, uh, a re- <clears throat> somewhere in the Alpha Quadrant is her planet. Right. And, you know, they probably took over not only humans, but they took over Klingons, obviously. They probably took over Andorians and everybody else. So just in this alternate universe, <clears throat> Troy's mom and human father somehow still got together, still dating Troy. I agree. I agree. And she still somehow ended up hooked up with, with Riker and company. Yes. With mullet Riker. Yes. And even <clears> – <throat> and so Worf. Uh, Worf is in the picture. So he did he was he an orphan uh, of the colony uh, or just by some vast maybe he was born on Kling, on uh, Quonos and just somehow ended up a guard and got together with these guys who the heck knows right that seems unlikely also but seems unlikely and not not to be all right so. This is obviously a, a very dystopian type future. Yeah. Um, but Jordy had a a defect at birth that would slow down whatever it is that these <clears throat> slaves are having to do, right? Because somebody's going to have to take care of him. So, you know, in this type of horrible future, why would Jordy still be alive? Why, how would he have been able to live as an adult? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if it's a slavery yeah, I, thing. I would think that the Romulans would have soylent greened him <laughs> way earlier. Uh, yes. Okay, so from that standpoint, I do agree with that. But on the other hand, I do like the idea that 
in a world where Geordie is not going to have access to advanced uh, medical technology, that he was able to craft something on his own with uh, Data's found head. Right. So that was no, that's cool. cool. There was there was tons of cool ideas. It's just they don't really mesh up to a cohesive story that makes sense to yeah. me. Like how did that? Where did the head go? If this is Earth, why is the head on Earth? If it's uh, if it's not Earth, then why is the head there? Because and they never call well, it data, well, so maybe well, this why is before's head. Data you was know. on some colony or something. That Noonien right. uh, yeah, Singh well, wasn't working on Earth when he created data. Right. So why is it there? If this is Earth, well, whether it's Earth or not, I don't think that has any bearing. Okay. I mean, well, okay, maybe if the planet happens to be the uh, the colony planet where Singh created data, okay, maybe that would make more sense. But anything else, it's like, who cares? I'm not following you. Who cares? I care. I want to know why his head's there. <laughs> well, my point is, whether it's Earth or not, I don't think that has a lot of bearing. Right. I mean, the main I thing is, like, like all these characters... I mean, they weren't all brought together by being assigned on the Enterprise. <laughs> so how did they come together? Right, right, right I think right. that's the main point. Yeah, so at first I was kind of excited when I saw the head there. I was like, okay, so this is Data's head from... Uh, first Contact? The Wild at West episode, right? So oh, they buried oh, his head time for zero. 300 years. So what if... That future still happened, and then when Data went back in time, you know, at some point at that point, time changed, and his head was still from an alternate future, but now back in the past, and then Jordy now found it and okay. made it into his, his eyes. There was a lot of possibilities you could do with a Data head, <laughs> but, but they, don't, they don't acknowledge it at all, and obviously this Data doesn't have n- n- any knowledge of a future where... He and Jordy were friends or anything, so... Right. Okay, well, th- that's interesting. So, that... Them finding Data's head from being buried <laughs> since the Wild West days um, and being found, and if Jordy was on Earth, raises a slave, uh, and if they are on Earth... Now, that kind of makes some sense at least, but it's like the only reason Data's head was, in, was buried in the Wild Wild West is that they went back in time in that Time Zero episode. But right. this, that never happened. I mean, True. none of them were on Enterprise D. So how could he have gone uh, back 300 years? Anyway, Right, so they went back in time, and then at some point in the new timeline, things went bad. Maybe somebody else went back in time. Maybe the Borg and Data and now Romulans have all gone back in time and slightly changed or dramatically changed the future. You know, you'd figure as soon as somebody figured out the slingshot maneuver and you can go back in time that a lot of nefarious people would be doing it. Right. That's why we need time cops. Time cops or um, what what was that branch of of future? uh, temporal direct no, what were, the, what were their names? I don't know, but the, yeah, it was some yeah some kind of temporal division of Starfleet or something, right? Anyway. Yeah, 
Well, I guess we'll never find out. We'll never know. So this is quite a tease, quite frankly. Right. I mean, we, this, you know, some aspects of this may not be fantastic or maybe kind of like, huh? But it's quite a mystery. Sets up quite a mystery. And I'm sure the author or authors, uh, Donnie Cates, is that right? Deviation's right. Um, I'm sure he probably has mapped out at least some of the rest of the story. Yeah, so you're right. And did you read the little essay he wrote at the no, end? No, I did not. What, so in, yeah, so he, he wrote that it. he he originally wanted it to be what if when the new movies were being made, the uh, the 2009 Star Trek movies, what if instead of rebooting the original series, they wrote, rebooted The Next Generation? So he his thought was to you know, kind of do a spin on the next generation as if it was being rebooted versus, you know, versus what we ended up getting. But they, they didn't want that. So then he wanted to do like a Mad Max type, like Snake Plissken type <laughs> uh, story, mm-hmm. which is what we ultimately got. And then he said that uh, he was writing it during the election last year. And I guess uh, he did not agree with the direction the election was going, so that's why he wanted – he was just thinking that he would just put in all this dystopian political future. dystopian future stuff. Right. So, uh, I, I mean, interesting that uh, where you got your inspiration, but it's also also a little bleak if you think that's, uh, that's, that's where we're going. Well, yeah. So, anyways, I, I I couldn't. I don't know. It didn't answer any of the questions. No. That, that okay. I had Interesting. But at least you found out a little bit about his, uh, you know, the genesis of the story Mindset. and everything. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they'll make a next one. Maybe you know they did Infestation twice. Uh, you know, IDW did. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll do Deviation. I I, I think they'll do more. I'll do, they'll do more of this. But I think a lot of it's going to be based on how many they sell. Right. Well, they got. They sold me one, so uh, I did. Sold me one, so. So we'll see. I liked it, but uh, but again, it was just too many questions and not enough answers. Right, right. A lot of cool ideas that I didn't quite think chilled. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I thought the artwork was very good, much better, I think, than Waypoint. Um. Everything, everybody looked looked right. Um, good detail. The Enterprise and the Klingon D seven that are both hangered uh, there at the end on the, on the final page. I think they both look good. Um, yeah, good artwork. Yeah, and I like that they snuck Barkley in. That was nice to see him. Broccoli. Where? Uh, during the. Um... During the storm of the prison, um, uh, I'm I'm looking at the PDF from Comicsology. Okay. So it's on page 49, I think. Let me see. 49 is the last page. No, 11. Sorry. <laughs> 11. Oh, 11. right, 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 right. So that is Barkley. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So he's got one of the guards in a in a headlock. Right. During the during the prison break. In his mouth. Okay, I did not even notice that. Yeah, I thought that was. Weird. 
So maybe they just keep all the old people in these uh, prisons to keep them from knowing the truth of the past. Keep old people? Or are these people that were uh, slaves that had... um... Learn the truth? Well, slaves that had rebelled. So therefore they were caught and they were thrown inside the prison. That's what I thought. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out where all the old people went to. So if you just killed off all the old people, then who raised these people? Okay, so you're talking about when they find Picard. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about if, if, since Picard knows of the Federation. Right. And I'm assuming the same thing you said. He knows it because he's old and he knew it before the Romulans took over. Right. But he is he the only old person in existence? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. He's probably not the only one. But right. he's the only one they bothered breaking out. And they do actually call the head Data. So it's, it's definitely Data's head, not before or Lore's. Right. Which I was thinking that could have been another, another reason the head was out there somewhere. Because, I mean, they did find Before's head just in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe this is implying that it's that, that planet. But no. Nope. That would make more sense. Because wasn't that even a Romulan-controlled planet? It was a desert planet. Yep. It had dune buggies yep. and Romulan, spider, scorpion. Um, ships. Ships. Yep. Yep, and definitely interesting seeing them using scorpion ships. Uh, Which straight out of Nemesis. Like. I like them. Yeah, those are cool-looking uh, fighter craft. So, like I said, a lot of cool cool ideas, but uh, ultimately, I, don't, I, I wanted more. Yeah. Well, who knows? You may get your wish. And I felt bad that Troy crashed another <clears> ship. <throat> that woman just can't fly. <laughs> you're, not, you're not trying to say some kind of sexist thing, are you? Just saying that, you know, the one time she flew the Enterprise D, it crashed. (laughs) (laughs) And then the one time she flies this Romulan ship, she crashes. Good point. Good point. I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to say something. But anyways, all in all, enjoyed these two books. Okay. Well, um, so we're wrapped up on this one, it sounds like. So uh, what will we be doing next, Donovan? All right, so next week we'll come back, Ken, and we'll do Star Trek Starfleet Academy issues one through three. Cool. Okay, so that's... This is set in the Kelvin uh-huh. universe when Kurt is still in school. Okay, so this is uh, basically when we jumped forward in time after Kirk met McCoy on the shuttle and then jumped forward to the Kobayashi Maru. So we're seeing the stuff before that. Yeah, we're somewhere in between. Okay. There, I'm assuming. Okay. I haven't actually read them, but my understanding is that that's where it's based. Okay. Watch, we probably read them, and it's just the next generation of the people. Um, you know, who knows? But my understanding is that what's the story about? But I've never read them. Right. So. Well, hopefully we see Kirk meet. Um, what's the Orion girl's name? Uh. Leela? Lola? No. Well, whatever it Lulu. is. I, I, I certainly hope we see their meeting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I'd like to see. Yeah. How he gets through, you know, four years of school and or 
eight years of school in four years. Yeah. You know, like that. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Next week. Yeah. Next week. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to us, and we'll be back uh, with some more goodness next week. Excellent. See you later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.